You're listening to the podcast of minister, author, blogger, Marilyn Darty. Prepare yourself to fly above what you thought you knew and see things from a different angle. Hey audience, Marilyn here. I'm so glad you've decided to join me today. I wanted to take a few minutes today to ask you to consider taking just a few dollars a month to support this ministry. Your help of just $10 a month can help me to continue to put important biblical truths on this podcast, my website, and even small publications. I don't receive a salary from a large church or a wealthy donor. But I do have a few friends just like you who find these little gold nuggets in the Word of God a great help to them. And from time to time, they are able to send me a few dollars here and there. I want to say thank you, especially to those of you who listen and let me know how much you appreciate the Word of God. Your encouragement keeps me going. Why don't you consider giving me a few dollars a month? Nothing that would break the bank, but just enough that I could purchase some much-needed equipment. I am in desperate need of a computer right now. I'm thankful for what I have now, but the battery is fading fast and I don't know how much longer it's going to last me until it crashes and burns. If you'd like to help, you can go to the Venmo app on your phone. That is Venmo, V-E-N-M-O app, and give to Marilyn Darty at Marilyn-Darty-One. Or you can go to PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Marilyn Darty. You can also send me a donation through the Postal Service at Marilyn Darty 204B Aqueduct AQUEDUCT Drive in Richmond, Kentucky 40475. Or get on my website, MarilynDarty.com. You'll also see a list of my books on the website. You can place an order or go on Amazon.com to get a copy of my books as well. I'd love to hear from you. If you don't have anything to give me, please don't let that stop you from contacting me because I'd love to talk to you. You can find me on Facebook and private message me. I'll be sure to get back with you. I'm looking forward to hearing from you, okay? So let's get on with the broadcast. Hello, everyone. Good to be with you again this afternoon. I'm going to be bringing a brief message to you just a little bit this afternoon. I'm going to be talking about the anatomy of a political takeover. It's been weighing on my heart quite a bit here lately about some of the things that are going on in our nation today. Uh, And I've got a question to ask. And that is, what is going on in America? Really? I mean, what's going on? And not only in America, in the world today. And I've got a a serious question, and I know somebody's going to say, oh, that's not serious. But really, did the devil call a meeting in hell and decide that uh, they're going to make the entire world go crazy? Did he say, you know, let's, let's call a meeting and... And, and let's just let go of all the dem- demons in the world and let's let them loose on the whole planet and let's just cause everybody to go crazy because I think that's what's happened. I, I really think that all of us would agree that something terribly wrong is happening in our nation today. But it's not only in our nation, it's all over the world. I am 
66 years old. And the reason that I'm talking about my age is because there have been a lot of changes in the world in my time. I've seen black and white television. I've seen computers. I remember when the first personal computers came out. I've seen a man put on the moon for the first time. I remember being uh, separated in race, blacks going to their schools and whites going to their schools. And I remember being bused. I remember in the 60s, uh, Martin Luther King and the uh, freedom marches and how that all that came together. I remember when kids used to play outside all day long. Now I, I see kids playing inside all day long um, on the couch, playing virtual TV, killing people on um, games all day long, being desensitized. I remember when policemen used to be respected. And I remember when police used to be thought of as good people. Now, with television, we see that we've got dirty cops and we've got good policemen. We've got bad policemen. Years ago, only weirdos were addicted to drugs. And now we've got housewives addicted to drugs. Our next door neighbors are addicted to drugs. Your nieces and nephews, your sons and your daughters. We've got pandemics. I've never lived through a pandemic where the whole world is quarantined for months at a time where churches are closing and people are fearful and dying and rioting in the streets, uh, where people are defunding the police, which is the craziest thing I've ever heard of in my life, where they're burning cities and people are leaving the cities and in droves. Can I tell you that something terrible is happening to our nation? And it's because we have been taken captive we are in a foreign land. We are no longer in the America that I grew up in. I'm going to read a psalm, Psalm 137, chapter 137, verse 1. And this was when the children of Israel were taken captive. When their land was overtaken by outside enemies. And they're in a foreign land. And they're sitting on the banks of the Euphrates. And they said, weeping, we sat beside the rivers of Babylon, thinking of Jerusalem. We have put away our lyres, hanging them upon the branches of the willow trees. For how can we sing? Yet our captors, our tormentors, demand that we sing for them the happy songs of Zion. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill upon the harp. I see a parallel in the Babylonian takeover and what's happening in America today. The, the king or the ruler in Babylon at that time was known as Nebuchadnezzar. He was a proud and an arrogant ruler. And he directs his armies to take Jerusalem. His ungodly intentions turn first to the house of God as he defiles it and he removes the vessels from the house of God and from it later he takes those same vessels and he places those golden vessels that have been consecrated to the Lord and he puts those in the treasure house of his God and so the next desire of his heart was a sinister plot against the children of Israel. His plan 
was to consist of several parts, several things, which were found in Daniel chapter 1. And I'm not going to read that whole chapter, but I'm going to bring out a few of the things that I see in Daniel chapter 1 that he did, that he, these things were indicative of taking a, a land or taking a group of people and indoctrinating them or changing them into what you would want them to be, which is what I see running parallel to our nation today, what is happening in our nation. And the first thing that I see Nebuchadnezzar do is that he said, bring certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed and of the princes, bring them to our nation, those that had no blemish, well-favored, skillful, in wisdom, cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace. In other words, he said, I want to take the very best, the brightest, those that had the greatest future. I want the top-notch people in the land of Israel because that is what I want to change. I want to change the future of Israel. And so he said, the second thing is, he said, I want to appoint them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine, which he drank for three years. And he said, I'm going to feed them a steady diet of the same thing that I eat every day. In other words, whatever the king devoured, that was what these young men were going to devour. What you, what you eat is what you become, in other words. And I'm speaking metaphorically as well here. Because this is what happens, is when you feed your children a steady diet of the world, or when you feed them a steady diet of all this junk that's going on in the world today, is it any wonder that your kids end up thinking just like the world does? When you teach them about hate, when you teach them uh, it's okay to kill and to destroy, then of course they're going to turn out like that. So he said, I'm going to feed them a steady diet of what I have, the way that I believe. They're going to believe just like I do. And he said, give them to me for three years. You know, you can... Give them to me, and, and I will form a habit in these young men. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know how long it takes to form a habit, but I know that after three years, that habit has been entrenched well in their psyche. I know that, that, that it is well placed within them in three years. They're well indoctrinated into uh, the fabric of the Babylonian society. And then number three, he said... I'm going to give them names. For unto Daniel, he said, I'm going to name him Belshazzar. And to Hananiah, Shadrach. And to Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So what did he do here? He changed their identities. He changed um, how they identified themselves. They identified themselves as Hebrews. But they're no longer going to be identified now as a Hebrew nation. They are going to be identified with a Babylonian name, with the name of 
the Babylonian gods with Baal and all the gods of, of Babylon. And so everything that they were used to, all of the things that they have been uh, taught, their identity, the things that they have learned in school, all the things that they have uh, come to understand has been changed. They have been immersed totally into the society of Babylon. And then the next thing was the clincher. The fourth thing, he is going to make them eunuchs. Uh, make them eunuchs. When you make someone a eunuch, it is so much more than a metaphor. This plan involved four fundamentals. Deal first with the strong. Change their diet. Change their identity. And number four, remove from them the capability to reproduce or to think for themselves. This plan, if implemented, would produce a drastic blow against the future of Israel. And I'm going to tell you something. If you do our young people, and if you do our nation the very same way, it's going to have the same consequences if you do our young people the very same way. And this is what we do when we send our children into this society that we see cropping up. Then we just hand them over to this society, this left-wing society that's coming about. And we wonder why our kids think it's okay to kill babies in the womb, and we wonder why they don't believe in God any longer, and we wonder why it's okay to uh, kill the innocent, why it's okay to do all these things. If you implement this plan, it will produce a drastic blow against the future of your children and against the church. Can I tell you, the Babylonian towers are long gone. Uh, you're not going to find Babylon standing today. I mean, you, you will, but they're, it's not anything like it was. But even though the visible Babylon has been dissolved, the spirit of Babylon is alive and well today. Her spirit of apostasy and idolatry is still evident today. Everywhere you look, her plans remain the same. Her hunger for men's souls is still strong. Her purpose remains to corrupt, to destroy, to pull down, to defile the things of the Most High God. And what that is, is you and I and our children. Nebuchadnezzar started with the cream of the crop, knowing that if you first destroy the strong, if you first destroy the great, then the weaker will present no problem. If you first destroy those who can think for themselves, then the rest will follow. And throughout the rank of the, the Christian world, the forces of hell attack the most stout-hearted. And I have seen men and women of God, the most dedicated, the most prayerful, the most righteous remain in constant combat. And I wonder how in the world they still remain to stand. And very few people praying for them and, and people criticizing them. We have lived to see the day when many strong men have become weak. Gallant men of the past have sheathed their swords and walked off the battlefield, allowing the enemy to regain once conquered territory. Is it any wonder that they sat on the banks of the Euphrates and they wept? They hung their harps up on the branches of the tree and said, I'm not going to sing any longer. I don't have a song to sing. 
Yet while many may have fallen, thank God for those who are still preaching the gospel, there are still a remnant of people that still preach that refuse to come under the Babylonian influence. Daniel and these Hebrew boys that we're talking about today were to be taken off the plain food of the Israelites and given this rich food off the king's table. They were to be fed this steady diet. The table is spread today with these Babylonian offerings. And the old prophet's voice echoes across the ages, declaring that a famine is going to be in the land, but it's not going to be a famine of food and drink, but of hearing the word of the Lord. And can I tell you that we are seeing that famine in the world today? That we have very few churches, very few young people are hearing the word of God today. Very few young people are hearing holiness preaching, telling our young people to remain pure and chaste and not give in to the king's fare, not to give in to the world and to the way that they believe, the way that the world believes. When we lose our appetite for the simple food of the gospel and our appetites care only for feel-good messages, that it's okay to do some of these things, shouldn't our reply be, to whom shall we go for thou hast the words of eternal life that we look to Jesus. Daniel, whose name meant God is judge, was given the name Belshazzar, meaning prince of Baal. Hananiah, whose name meant gift of the Lord, was given the name of Shadrach, meaning the command of Aku. Mishael, whose name meant who is what God is, was given the name of Meshach, meaning who is Aku. And to Azariah, whose name meant whom Jehovah helps, was given the name of Abednego, meaning the servant of Nebo. They changed their identity. But Babylon's plan is to do a, destroy the identity and change what the church stands for. And I'm afraid that many in the church has lost their identity. We identify with the world quicker than we do with Christ. The very word Pentecostal has little identity to, to us today. I'm not ashamed to tell you that I'm Pentecostal, that I speak in tongues. Once it was automatic to associate it with holiness, to associate it with exuberant worship, with clean living, but not anymore. Now you can't hardly tell Pentecost from anyone else. It's like uh, now when you say, someone is Pentecostal, it's like taking a box of crayons and melting them all together. You had a box of pure color, but when you melt them all together, they mix so much with other colors that it's impossible for the colors to m remain pure, and eventually they all melt together, and it looks like a, a gray color. I mean, it's, it's not beautiful at all. This is the state of Pentecostals today. Pentecost has its advocates of what the church of today is supposed to look like. It's different now, they tell us. It's different now. We don't have to live like Grandma and Grandpa used to live. I'm not talking about legalism. Please. I know that the church was legalistic years ago, saying that if you didn't wear this or you didn't wear that, that you were going to hell. Or if you shaved your legs, you were going to hell. Or if you plucked your eyebrows, you were going to hell. If you drank soda pop, you were going to hell. Give me a break. 
Those things were ridiculous. But I am saying that if the First Lady of the United States looks more holy than the pastor's wife, there is something terribly wrong in our world today. Can I get an amen? Yes, it's different now, they tell us. But if if the church doesn't look like the church of yesterday, it can't be the church of tomorrow. The church is still holy. It should be. Above all else, we must maintain our identity as epistles known and read of all men. People should be able to look at the church and tell that we're the church. And the final step of the plan was to make eunuchs of them. A eunuch is not made just by title, but he has been physically altered, thereby removing from him the essentials of reproduction. The devil's goal is to make extinct the true church to make it sterile, to remove the seed from the church. The greatest shame of all is not to be able to reproduce. And when you don't have anything different than the world, why would the world want what you've got? They've already got what you've got. You must be able to show the world that you are different than them. This is the difference between Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel. They said, let us try eating our food. Let us take these three weeks and eat our food different than the rest of you. And let us show you that we're going to be just as healthy or more so than the rest of you. So therefore, they had to show the king and everyone else that to live holy was going to prove to the king and to everyone else that they had something special. They were going to reproduce. The greatest shame of all is not to be able to reproduce. Don't let hell lie to you. Don't let the devil say the only thing that we can do is hold the fort. We've got to kick in the gates of hell. When Zion travails... The Bible says sons and daughters are born. Earnestly, we need to pray for an old-fashioned soul-winning revival. The extinction of the church is only a few unpreached messages away. And I'm going to tell you that this kind of preaching that I'm doing right here today is the kind of preaching that's going to save the world. But all this feel-good preaching that we're hearing in the pulpits on Sunday morning today is not going to change the world. What we've got to do is quit preaching psychology, and we've got to lift up the name of Jesus. He said, if I be lifted up, then I shall draw all men unto me. Daniel defeated the plot because he purposed it in his heart. That though he was in Babylon, he succeeded in keeping Babylon out of him. This is what we must do, church. Yes, we are being taken over. And yes, America is different than what we've ever seen. But today is the day of victory for men only with this purpose in our hearts. And I'm going to tell you, we can do this. We can keep Babylon out of us. and What's it going to cost us? Oh, it's going to cost us a great deal. Maybe a few lion's dens and a few fiery furnaces along the way. 
but thanks be unto God. It also means hearing old Daniel, a man greatly beloved. One of these days we're going to stand before the throne of God and he is going to say, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many. God bless you. Stay faithful while we're being taken over by Babylon.